0: Hey, it's Mark Shafley here. You're listening to the Jet Centric Podcast.
1: Hey there, Winnipeg Jets fans. Welcome back to the Jet Centric Podcast. This is episode 63. My name is AJ, one of your hosts. And in this episode, um, I do a little interview with Marat Tesh from The Athletic. We did a live stream on uh, Periscope slash Twitter. Um, just like our last one we had done uh, a periscope uh, thing as well that's w- that was the last audio that was posted so we're not going to do that all the time, but I uh, thought it'd be kind of fun just to do it one more time at least uh, recently get Marat in there get some questions and stuff so it, it was fun to do uh, We were in a recording studio but just where all the switchboard switchboards were so uh, the audio wasn't amazing because it was just a live stream thing like I mentioned but also forgot to record the audio. So this is a recording taken off the live stream. So yeah, totally dropped the ball on that. So our audio is never amazing anyhow. And you'd think when you're in a recording studio, you'd get it right. But uh, yep, uh, that was a fail on my part. So it was a late night. Anyhow, hope you enjoy it. That's uh, for those of you who already saw the live stream, that's all this is. It's just going to be that audio, but wanted to post it uh, so people don't have to sit and watch a whole video to do it. You can ride your bike or drive to work or whatever you need to do and and listen to it too without watching the video so anyhow here's that audio hope you enjoy it and give us some feedback if you like all right here it is all right sorry we're a little late to start my name is aj this is jet centric podcast i'm here with marat from uh the athletic and we're gonna do a little live stream video for you hopefully you guys will add some stuff oh there we go people are joining okay let me see you now so uh, I'll start off with some questions because we're going to wait for some of you guys to uh, to join. I'm sure people will have some some questions or thoughts to ask. So I'll start, and then once more people are in, you can feel free to, to ask more out some things. So anyhow. So, okay, so let's get started. First of all, I want to do a shout-out to uh, our one sponsor, the Bl- Blackbird Brasserie, where we went to eat tonight. Had the burger there. It was good. And uh, so Black, Blackbird Brasserie, check it out. And then also we are in the studios of Paintbox Recording. Um, we're actually in the, the main recording room, not in where you're supposed to do the recording, hanging out here on this old vintage couch. And uh, yeah, so a little visual there. Anyhow, uh, we'll get into it. We'll talk about a couple things. Uh, one thing that uh, the first thing I want to ask you about, Murat, was obviously uh, Ken Weeb joining The Athletic. That's uh, exciting. Ken weebs uh, the good guy. And so curious what your thoughts uh, about uh, having... Not being, not the Lone Ranger. I guess Leah Hextall was there, but uh, now having another full-time uh, person join you at the Athletic. Uh,
0: full stop. It's cool. Yeah. Like, I'm thrilled about it. And um, it was a few months ago that I first started, like hearing the whispers. I, I was talking to people within the company that, like, hey, um, you know, we we grew a lot and we had the opportunity to to add somebody. And who realistically would that be? And what are you know what are the strengths and weaknesses of uh you know of everybody, including myself, because there there are things that I'm new to and things that I need to level up at and things like that. So, um, one of the great things about Ken is that at the bottom of it all, he's a good human.
1: Yeah.
0: And um, like when I, uh, when I started as a freelancer, October 2017, I'm gonna say. Um, there's a lot of who in the world is this guy, right? And when I showed up, Ken was one of the first people to reach out, um, make a contact, ask me how things were going, see you at the rink, and then when I got there, he was one of the first people to make me feel welcome. Um, And then also just to see him in that space, where he's clearly the guy. He's the one who's been there for the longest and the full-time for the longest, and he knows all the staff, like, from top to bottom of that organization, and he knows, you know, he's greeting caretakers by name in the tunnels at the way. So he has such a such a class about him, and I think he's a, he's a really good standard in terms of professionalism, and, like, I'm just excited... He, his first piece is coming up soon and just what he has in terms of what we're able to do together, yeah. I think it's a really, really good fit and right. I think it's a big step for us.
1: Right on. Well, that's cool. Good, good uh the, You're not the, the Lone Ranger anymore. Like I said, Leah, but she was part-time, but uh, mm. it's kind of cool because both you will be... Um... Hi, Marat, big fan. Oh, there you go, Hangar Hockey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. hey. Um... All right, so now getting into a little bit of uh, Jets talk, you had uh, two articles that came out uh, yesterday and today, mostly about uh, um, Paul Maurice. I'm curious, for those that didn't read it or weren't part of your Q&A that you did uh, today, um, what are some of the the main takeaways for you about uh, Maurice, the character, and and maybe what you you think uh, he's uh, learned from maybe this last season? Uh, That's a big thing. I mean, the Jets came off like the most amazing season ever, followed by, you know, a bit of a dud, Last year was an okay season, but I mean the second half was definitely a bit of a dud. Um, so do you get any sense of uh, how he's seeing this team and some of his adjustments and, and how he's been developing these guys or, or what the plan is now?
0: Yeah, we talked a lot about development in like sort of a macro sense, and one of the big things I wanted to ask kind of off the hop was before 2017-2018, so the beginning of two seasons ago, there were systemic changes at basically every level. Five on five, it was where they really implemented that really aggressive forecheck with defensemen pinching up the wall and uh, and uh, forward coming back so hard to give them the read that they could make to, to make that pinch. These are things that other teams had done already. Nashville, I think, was a really good example of it, but it was a modern forecheck, especially at that time, and Winnipeg executed it very well, so that was new, we talked about that. Um, The penalty kill had been new, according to him, just before the end of the previous season, but then they tweaked it over the summer, and then the power play was brand new. That was the first time with uh, all the right-handed shooters and Blake Wheeler setting up uh, for those one-timers. And we all know this. If you're listening to this right now, you know that. And if you read the article, you sort of know the background a little bit more at, uh, at this point. And the sort of evolution that Maurice describes is that He was waiting for certain players to come of age. So Mark Scheifele's development had to, in in Maurice's mind, hit a certain point before uh, he could be their number one center and play certain roles and sort of take the abuse in the middle on the power play. Um, Adam Lowry had to come of age and become actually capable of driving and, and controlling possession because he gave a lot of minutes to Adam Lowry before Adam Lowry controlled play at all, right? I mean, like, in Lowry's early seasons, you know, well below 50% shot attempts and all those sorts of things that you look at. Yeah. So finding out why, it was kind of a big part. And it was good to hear him talk about it. It gave Maurice a lot of time to speak. It was very engaging. Yeah. And where can people find that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, at theathletic.com. Just plug, it, plug it a bit. Yeah. I, uh, hi, I'm Murat. I write athletic at theathletic.com. And um, the... The conversation we had lasted an hour. He gave me a lot of time. It was a great sit-down. He detailed things at length. And then in terms of turning that into the Q&As that went up yesterday and today, I trimmed it for certain things but otherwise left him intact so you could hear his context and you can choose where you agree with him and you can choose where you don't agree with him. Yeah. Um, uh, but his reasoning and his philosophical approach and all those sorts of things—it's—it's it's good reading, flat out. And I mean, obviously, my name's behind the piece, so I want you to think it's good reading. But yeah. when Maurice speaks, it's interesting. And uh yeah so it was, it was a great thing it was one of the things that i was happiest to do
1: i think it's interesting you mentioned Lowry too because i was literally having this thought the other day saying uh, i mean people that have listened to the podcast know how some of us have been big fans of dano and patan which i you know don't like to mention their names because so people were just like shut up about them already but then i thought okay so he you know ruined their careers or whatnot but at the same time uh Kopp and Lowry are two guys that come to mind where a lot of people, when they were drafted and kind of in their early stages, we were, a lot of, I mean, maybe some really, really keen people were, were on board, but a lot of people were like, I don't know about these guys. And now most everybody's turned on those guys. Are like, Kopp and Lowry are great. I mean, like, one of our best defensive forwards, you know, the, you mentioned Lowry uh, driving play and stuff too. I mean, those... They're, they're very significant pieces to to the, these guys uh, in the middle of the lineup there. So um, <laughs> free Dano, yeah, okay, he's free. He's free in uh, he's free in Columbus. Uh, oh, Ryan just joined us. Uh, he, he'll get a kick out of this. Okay, so that's about the, the Marie stuff. Now, want to get obviously uh, people want to hear about Liney. Literally, uh, if you could say anyone wrote the book on Liney, it's you. Uh, when you went to the Finland trip, you wrote a nice long article about him. You know about line a probably is as good as anyone um do you have any and, and i guess his history and stuff isn't that important to his current you know um non-contract but i'm curious with him and connor too obviously they're both rfas they're both uh, haven't signed there's a whole bunch of high quality rfas i'm curious if you have any hot takes about that and where you see them going um you know people have talked about long-term bridge all those kind of things whether they One, I don't know if you want to comment or somebody wants to ask a question about that, but also, and we talked about this before we started recording, how maybe the CBA is uh, playing into this. I mean, some of these RFAs, literally, if they wait till after September 15th, if they know the NHLPA is going to opt out or not opt out, they know that they have one one year left um, before uh, there's a potential lockout or three years left right so that's going to change how they load a contract how they uh, structure bonuses and all that so curious if you think that that might also be part of it besides the waiting for marner to to drop and set the market right so liney connor rfas market drop cba there you go there's there's (laughs) one simple question eh? it's a
0: very easy question just answer that simple question is yes or no yeah i well i'll start at the end i guess i don't know what order this is going to come out at you but I appreciate your comment about September 15th a lot, got to give you credit for that, and I think that there's a lot of insight there because contracts will get structured differently. I mean, we've had all of the major deals that we've seen in the last little while have come with like with a certain amount of lockout protection yeah. and money structured in signing bonuses uh, as opposed to salary for the year, and, and that matters, so with September 15th being so soon and with uh the rfa's largely having waited this long anyway yeah um if if I'm them I'm waiting for clarity on that for sure I think that's a really good point on your part um I would imagine without ever being certain that the players have a general sense of how they're going to vote on this right so if we're if we're reading lebron at the athletics say that things have been amiable so far and you know things are optimistic uh I think the players have a sense, but until the actual decision gets made, you're, you're never sure. Right. Uh, so I don't think anyone is going to be shocked on the on the players end. That said, fifteenth, I think that's a great point, and yeah. I think I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's in the days following that where the first dominoes start to fall. Uh, Patrick Liney, um, interesting cat. I I love just how unique of a character he is. I love that we have characters like that in the NHL. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, borderline panic is that fair to say Yeah. consternation for sure about his status and uh, and trade rumors and, and all of that sort of stuff I don't expect Patrick Laine to be traded I don't think they're going down that road I don't expect any of that sort of stuff I expect Patrick Laine to be a Winnipeg Jet and sign for a bridge deal of some kind yeah when he says uh, to Chris Johnson of Sportsnet that, you know, hockey's a business and he'll be playing somewhere, right. I attribute that more to line a being line a than anything. Right. Um, he's more likely to say things that are a little bit in that direction that can be slightly incendiary. And the fact that he says them at all, I mean, sure, all of us, including myself, is like, whoa, that's that's yeah. interesting, right? Um, but when he talks about, and and when he talks about his usage, I think that there's a huge difference between playing with Mark Scheifele and Brian Little. So whether he's upset a lot or upset a little, I I wouldn't begrudge the guy that at all either. Um, But at the end of the day, he he will get his contract. I expect it to be a bridge deal. Uh, I expect him to return to impressive goal scoring totals and, and get better as a player as well and then cash in. And because he scores so much on the power play anyway and has room to grow at five on five, his usage, while a valid complaint, I think that his his power play goal totals are going to increase as well. He's going to get his payday eventually, one way or the other. Um, and then we'll <laughs> see. We'll see about four years from now, five years from now, and, and, and where the long-term future is. Right. And then maybe
1: you could comment a little bit on, on Connor. My my hot take is his. we know exactly what he is. Obviously, he's going to get better as a player, but it's pretty, I think... Line A had 30 goals, basically scoring all in one month. Everyone agrees that it was a terrible season by his standards, and he had four less goals than Kyle Connor. <laughs> and people were talking about, y- y- "What a great season he had!" Right? So, and I understand the power play totals and everything, but I mean, uh, Connor and and Shifley were second uh, not far behind as far as power play goals behind uh, behind um lining so i'm curious what your your take on connor is he probably is getting a long term right now there's no reason for him to really sign the bridge um but he's probably just waiting on those those uh dates to drop or the other rfas to to happen or what's what's your take on that
0: yeah if i'm kyle connor i'm pushing long term yeah. as big of money as i can find uh I think one of the most important things uh, that affects a player's production are his, is his usage, right. his line mates. And the, you could not argue that Kyle Con- like Kyle Connor has had the best possible bringing into the NHL Shifley and Wheeler from the beginning. Um, his spot on the top power play unit it isn't really conducive towards big power play goal totals for sure. Right. Uh, but Shifley and Wheeler at length, consistently big minutes. He even led Jets forwards in ice time all situations in the playoffs. They give him a lot of rope for sure. Right. And, you know, if he plays with Brian Little or in a different role for an extended period of time, his totals go down and that, that payday goes down. So if you're in his camp, I think that you've had the best of it for two straight seasons. You can sell potential. You can sell the fact that he's killed some penalties. And, and Paul Maurice seems to believe he's a, a very good defensive player. Um, a very good. Thank you. Yes. Um, uh, a very good defensive player, even if the metrics don't show it. You know, that's one of the areas where I think you could reasonably disagree with the conclusions that the the coach made. But anyway, my point is, yeah. he should be striving for a long term deal at big money, and I, and I think Shifley and Wheeler really enjoy playing with them as well. So, right. um, I think that's going to be Winnipeg's easier resolution. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, now, talking uh, talk about that and him playing with Shifley and Wheeler, I know Ryan had to ask before, just kind of in the messaging, um, if you think that finally we get to see Shifley and Wheeler split up, I mean, for those who aren't aware, we talked about this literally a year ago before the last season or whatever it was, and after coming off of such an amazing season, we were saying spread out the talent, it'd be a great idea, we're still pushing for that. Do you think we actually get to see this? Because when you used to talk about your lineups, you'd always have them together, not because that was necessarily your preference, but you just knew that's what Maurice was going to do. And you were right. Mm -hmm. That is what he did. So you were right to kind of assume that, and the rest would work around that. Do you think this is a year, especially after the second half of last season, those guys kind of uh, dropping off a bit um, um, overall? Do you think we finally get to see those guys split up, or are they still glued together?
0: So I asked Paul Maurice that question. Um, Directly, he was talking about different things. I can't remember the exact lead-up, but is this a season where we can can see them split up and and use them to drive two separate lines? And the answer was, well, yes, but to a point, and we like those guys together for these reasons. We like their offensive totals. We like their chemistry. So he entertained the idea in conversation, but then explained the reasons that he likes using those two players together. So, my read is that no, we're not going to see that split, or if we do, it's going to be very temporary, and then to hear Shifley speak today, and to hear um, sort of what this dialogue is like, I don't expect that that law of Jets roster building to be broken this particular season, as much as we advocate for it.
1: Uh, They are saying that we've we've been tough on, on Maurice over the last year, should he be on the hot seat? Should he be on the hot seat? Yeah, I think, uh, was it Billick or somebody had written an article about that recently, about whether he should be? And I think he got some slack for it. I think it was Scott Billick. Um, I'll just give him my hot take. Mm-hmm. I believe that he's in the middle of a four-year contract that uh, has only played uh, one year, and that one year was after having the best you know, statistical Winnipeg Jets NHL year ever, and then one year where they finished second in the division and, you know, get 99 points and get swept by the eventual champ. So I think um, from an organizational standpoint, I think there's a lot of argument from them Not from me. I think uh, he should be on the hot seat. But I think there's ample uh, excuses built into why he shouldn't be. Because, first of all, he probably still has three years left. And also, I mean, this, some of the players that he's managed to develop, the great season he had before, a down year. Now you got a chance to bounce back. And... After a summer, all the excuses kind of reset is what I always like to say. I mean, you can use this, the schedule excuse at some point. You could use um, guys' injuries excuse probably at some point. So it all kind of resets and doesn't really matter how things were managed previous years because it's going to be based off of this year. And when people look at previous years, they'll look at the success, not of the negatives, I think, within the organization. So I don't think he's on the hot seat. I think if they have a real down crappy year, get, in the, you know, get an eighth seed and get bounced in the first round, then we could start talking, but I, I don't think he's on any kind of hot seat at all right now, so maybe from some of the fans, like people like me, but um, yeah, I don't know okay.
0: Do you I don't expect that his seat is that hot. I think that a first half start that reads like the second half finish could change that right. fast, but I, I think I think that overall the organization's confident in him and and it's about loyalty and it's about long term stuff and, and and building in Winnipeg. Um, so I, I don't think he is and the, the question I guess is should he be and I think that that, that takes careful consideration and a three dimensional analysis of things because I I cringe I cringe at that he's lost a lot of games argument, I right. cringe at it, if he's won a lot of games I cringe at that too, I think that's a terrible indicator of how good or bad of a coach you are, right. um, it's like wins for pitchers with run support versus without run support um, so I look at I look at attempts to sort of guess what his impact is on the team versus what you might expect it to be. Right. And so Micah McCurdy released that interesting graphic where at five-on-five five, the Jets have been average if you sort of sort and regress for coaching effects. Um, and and that's an interesting thing. I think about average is probably right, you know, that 10 to 20 range. Uh, um, there are things that I think we could probably agree that he does well. And with certain types of players, the development has really been excellent, Lowry and Kopp. And... Part of that is a survivorship bias. Those are the guys that are still around, right? <laughs> yeah. um, uh, some of the development sort of situations. I mean, Nick Patan, for example, who uh, like a lot of people would have expected more things from. Okay, is that is that on Maurice? And I think you can make that argument as well. I think there's more hits than misses by far, development wise, and Winnipeg's young forward group is kind of kind of speaks to that. You get into deployment, and I think there's lots of grounds for. It for criticism there especially if you're leaning from an analytical perspective as right. i think that you and i would or right. um and there's a certain amount of stubbornness that goes in certain decisions so i don't think i want to write or the the 2000 word piece on that right here yeah but just to try to be three-dimensional but i don't have a hot he should absolutely this or that um in winnipeg take for you sometimes change is good because it brings you know, a same quality level of coach brings in new messaging and, you know, puts people back on the same page again, um, or, or gives people a blank slate. And that's not a bad thing. If you can be assured that you're getting somebody of quality as well. So, um, are there coaches that would be better? Probably. I believe that for sure. Um, should he be on the hot seat? You could make arguments for it, but that's not one that I'm going to make right now.
1: Yeah. And I would, I wouldn't either. Again, being fair, I've I've been critical of them, but I, I think organizationally, that's that's not going to happen. Like you talked about the development of some of the players, that's good. But for me, the the usage is one one thing. I mean, uh, Lowry and Kopp, as much as you like them, I, mean, I know many people like Hanef wasn't a fan. Um, but I mean, that's not really a scoring line, and that was our third line for most of the time by the minutes. And this is you know we have the talent to make three pretty wicked scoring lines and for basically you know reducing Roslovic and Perot, who can drive play to fourth liners and and well Appleton's fine there right I think that that was problematic so for me it comes down to usage but I don't even actually the contrary to popular belief I don't actually think Maurice should be fired I just think he's got the job he's the guy that I want to make good decisions because he's he's you know coaching the team that i'm cheering for so i don't want him to necessarily be fired i just want his decisions to be better in what i think would be better decisions right and so it's more about that it's uh optimize this lineup it's not about go out and get quenville because maurice like you said uh he well i don't know if you said it this way but uh, there's something that sparked it for me he could be the best coach in the league for x group of guys right but is he the best for this group of guys and i would say no I would say probably somebody else would be. But for me, it doesn't go to Quinville and all these other guys. It's whoever has the best plan for these 23 guys for these 82 games, right? And right now, I don't think he is, but I think with the talent we have, um, it'll mask over a lot of those things anyhow. So... Anyhow, it was about asking you questions there. I just go rambling. Um, Okay, I wanted to ask you, uh, Mikey asked about uh, Stanley. What's uh, your uh, overall thoughts on Stanley and maybe how they're going to look at it this year? We feel like we're probably going to get a look at Logan Stanley in some exhibition games. The the team certainly wants to justify the pick. Do you think we actually get more than a couple exhibition games? What's uh, the plan for this year, or is it still uh, a ways off maybe?
0: I don't think there's room for him on the on the Jets' roster, personally, even with the, the Jets' defense kind of in the situation that it's in right now with, uh, with a lot of guys gone year over year. Um, but there's an interesting... The thing that sticks out to me about Logan Stanley lately, uh, and I don't have... I, I feel like I obsess over the Jets to the point where, you know, I watched Jets games multiple times, right? Yeah. So if they played 82 times last year, I probably watched... 150 Jets games, like, right. um, But the moose, I don't have as as close of a read on that. But there's something that that really skyrocketed kind of springtime. It was the it was the narrative. It was about the organizational push of Stanley. And there's an interesting thing that you hear them talk more and more about, even at rookie camp uh, in uh, in July. Do I have my timeline right? Was uh, it's right after the draft? Whenever so late was... June, early yeah, at the draft. I was at rookie camp. Uh, but Pascal Vincent made a point of of speaking to how much he leaned on Stanley as kind of a top-pairing, tough-minutes defender in the AHL. You hear Paul Maurice find opportunities to talk about him as well. And then some folks that I would talk to, that's a vague thing, but they're... The push is there, Um, and so I believe that the organization really does project him highly, and whether that's to justify the pick, whether that's because they continue to see whatever it was that made, I mean, the size and the things that you would notice about Logan Stanley for sure, I'm not sure, but I think that there's a push. Uh, I still think that his best-case scenario is, is uh, big minutes in the AHL for the Moose, and right. if he excels with those, then uh, then continue the next path of his development because, I mean, you can't teach certain things that he can do, right. uh, but I don't think that there's any reason to think that he would supplant a, a Niku or a Pullman or uh, a Borlew or a, or a Pionk or, or someone like that. Right. Did you just take the saying
1: that you can't teach size and turn it into something more elegant, you can't teach what he can do? Is that what you just... I, I don't, don't know if it was, was more eloquent, but it yeah. was. It was like you can't teach size. Like the most, it's like the worst thing ever. Somebody said, uh, "I don't think he'll play either. Uh, probably not this year, Mikey. I don't, I don't. think he plays this year. He plays in the the H, almost likely." Um, Ten thirty, you got to get poetic as the thing yeah. goes on, you know. Yeah, we got to justify the night, time that hour. we spent uh, getting getting this all set up. Um, but somebody asked, uh, "Will they sign, or when will they sign Sandberg?" I think he's already signed, but he's decided to go back to college. The problem with him right now is he. Could be a UFA uh, once August third or fourth hits or something like that after this year. So there's a bit of a the the risk that people talked about with Pullman years ago. Will he leave or will he will he stay or really will he go now? And uh, so we'll we'll see. It's I mean he's going to play at the Minnesota Duluth, and whenever they finish up, he probably joins the Moose for a little bit there uh, at the end of the season, and maybe if they have a playoff run. I uh, probably play a bit there, and then after August comes, then um, yeah, he can probably walk.
0: What do you mean if when he... you say that he's already signed?
1: Well, uh, didn't he already sign an entry level? Pretty, si- I'm pretty sure he. That's. Oh, I'm
0: I'm blind on that. If that's if that's the case, but I don't know. Because... Tony, where's
1: Tony? Tony, answer that question. <laughs> I.
0: Uh, I th- so I thought he had a, a contract. End of, the, end, of year, uh, se- end of your end season media availability. This most recent season, Kevin Shovel Day off sort of dropped that they were having positive. <laughs> uh, they were having positive positive. Like Twice, if you're in danger. I did it. In we'll danger, see if yeah. I get help. I gotta drive him home.
1: Man. <laughs> so, yeah. um, uh, 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 media availability. Yeah,
0: uh, he went out of his way, I think, to to comment that dialogue was good with Sandberg, yeah. and then he was looking forward to having a contract signed. Uh, and then it wasn't announced. Then he, then Sandberg indicated that he was going. That's the one. Uh, I don't think college kids can sign pro contracts. It's against the NCAA rules. I believe Uh, that's true. Yeah. I thought
1: they. uh, Sorry, I thought that they could sign it, but they just couldn't play. Like they could still go back as long as they hadn't come up and played. So that was my misunderstanding. I thought he actually had a contract, kind of in place. Yeah, I guess that wouldn't make
0: sense if he could walk. I'm an idiot. So it seems like they were close anyway, and then that decision came out, and and now he's gone back to college. And. Um, we're, I think fans are going to be concerned right through the end of the process because, um, and I don't know, I looked at this the other day, uh, someone kindly pointed out the, the rules to me about when he can become a free agent depending on uh, how many years he plays, and I think January 1st is an important deadline for that. But anyway, I, I don't want to say it if I, if I if I don't have it ironclad, but there's details that affect his eligibility based on how much he plays and how many years and how many years it's been since his draft. Right. All to say um, my understanding is that the dialogue is still good, yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, it's not going to be immediately, but that concept where maybe when his college season is over, um, that that he'll sign at that point.
1: I always thought the Jets and Flyers could have been and might still be good trade partners. Thoughts for who?
0: For who? Yeah, um, for who? Once upon a time, who do we want? Simmons. A lot of people liked Simmons when he was still there. We were discussing at The Athletic um, with Jacob Truba that there might be some opportunity there at that time, or even if Truba went elsewhere and then, um, who was it? It was Nick Ehlers that the rumors were floating around about at that time, and people were talking about maybe defensemen that you could get for Nick Ehlers at that time, who, by the way, is probably Winnipeg's best left winger and uh, is going to be criminally underpaid compared to Kyle Connor uh, in a heartbeat. Um. <laughs> Because usage matters. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's it. That's where we're gonna leave that one. <laughs> All right. Let's see. It's.
0: Uh, oh. I felt like that was a vague way to close the sentence. Anyway. Well, no. Let's move on.
1: Okay. Um, we talked. Do you think they should have for this year and then more? Do you think they should have held on to? Somebody a- got auto corrected. I think. Atriums for this year and then, yeah. Oh, arbitration is what they're trying to say. True. By. Yes. Yes, they should have. They should have took a two year deal on him, and they would still have him and let him walk for nothing because the only thing they got back was... uh their own pick back, which they shouldn't have had to trade away because of the Brian Little contract. And so they got Pyong who is a player you get in free agency. The Truba trade was Truba for nothing. So I would have rather <laughs> traded Truba for nothing next year. They should have signed for two years. Plus, he would probably be at a slightly lower cap hit than if it was a two year arbitration award than a one year, right? I mean, what was he last year, like 6.25 or something? That was five or, and a half. Five and a half. It's whatever. late, my memory. And then I think if it's two years, it probably would have been like 5.35 or something. I, I don't know. It, I think it's a little bit less if you spread over the two years. So yes, they should have. That was that was a a fail, especially because they know they want to walk, and um, or they should have gotten way more in that trade. They should have gotten their first round, New York's first round pick. Uh,
0: yeah. No. Do you read anything to Comrie not being signed at this point? Eric Comrie, I don't. I don't really know. I, I think. So we had a Q&A at The Athletic today, and one of the things I remember was Comrie being asked uh, about, and, and Ken suggested that, well, I mean, it does kind of make sense that he'd be at towards the end of their priority list, given that Kyle Conner and Patrick Liney, and, I mean, Josh Morrissey, even though he uh, still has time on his contract left, I'm sure is is, is a more important and pressing conversation, just in case they can get it done before this season, yeah. um, than Eric Comrie, which is unfortunate for Comrie, who has his own ambitions and is certainly a good human being, but... Um so no i I don't I don't panic on that necessarily uh I think the suggestion was also made that it might not be s- incredibly palatable for Comrie to split time with Berdine, yeah. um after putting in as much time as he has as well still I mean whether I, I still expect him to be a moose even if even if he doesn't a- end up that way um I think it's going to be okay with respect to that one. I think Berdine's the future in in net for Winnipeg, and even then it's tough to project goaltenders that far out. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: so I think resolution will come, and the worst-case scenario isn't awful either.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, now, the one thing that I want to talk about, and there will probably be some questions about, was we we talking about Stanley and Sandberg, and you just mentioned Morrissey, but just the defensive core, that they are... Weaker without Truba for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean Myers is a loss of sorts, but I feel like the other players coming up, if they get used, uh, Wright can definitely cover over whatever he was. Um, was not a huge fan personally. Um, I was saying that today I met Tucker Pullman, and anyone uh, who knows me knows that I'm a huge Tucker Pullman fan. So the joke I've been saying is uh, I'm pregnant now, uh, just from meeting Tucker Pullman. So there you go. Um, but anyway, I think those guys can cover over. But just a decor now without uh truba there and sort of an obvious you have your obvious one too but how do you think they get deployed uh meaning uh, or not m- maybe two questions how do you think they get deployed and what do you think would be the most effective way of the, the bodies they have they're not adding anybody else at this point right so, so no okay so they're not adding anything
0: um so yeah man that fantasy of like, of a happy truba and Morrissey as the top pairing for the next seven years would have been great for Winnipeg, I am sure. Um how do how do they get used? I think Morrissey's the anchor on Worm one pairing and, and Dustin Bufflin's the anchor on another pairing and both of those pairings get run hard. Right. And yeah, but congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah. and uh that's one of the things that I asked Paul Maurice about as well. And you seem to indicate that that was the case. He sees Pionk as a as a top four defenseman, so as a right-side defenseman. I assume that that means he plays with Josh Morrissey. And then Dustin Bufflin gets... Uh, a few people will audition, I think. And I think Nathan Beaulieu might be the front-runner. Some people say Dmitry Kulikov. Some people ideally say Niku. I, I, I'm not sure how that shakes out, but I think that that's less set in stone. Right. Um, but there's an interesting thing. Uh, maybe it's just interesting to me, but even last year when Morrissey and Truba were the number-one pairing and Sherrod and Bufflin were the number two pairing. When you look at the even strength ice time at the end of the day, Bufflin would lead Morrissey and Truba, and both of them would be ahead of Ben Sherrod. Right. And so between TV timeouts, between... Am I being held hostage? Yes. Um, Between TV timeouts, end-of-penalty situations, um, and end-of-period situations where they were able to get Bufflin extra shifts, they did, and that's sort of how they did that. So I think that you're going to see... A little bit of that. And Maurice seemed to suggest this as well. I asked him about it directly, and he said, oh, probably, or eventually, or something of that effect, where Morrissey and Bufflin will show up as a pairing together as well. Oh, Sorry, I missed the last one. It was about Brian Little. Did you catch it? I about? didn't see it, no. Say it again. Losing Schrott was bad, too. No, it wasn't that bad. No. Mm-hmm. I like Ben Sherratt, but mm-hmm. uh, I think that if he were the clear-cut answer at, as Bufflin's partner, they wouldn't have tried the Tyler Myers experiment. Right. Um, so The left know. side Tyler Myers? That's what I mean, yeah. Um, and so I, I think that yeah, I, the end results were were fine, but I think that there are, are certainly well, we don't need to rehash last year, but uh, no, but it, but uh,
1: but uh, like we, I always talk about the whole idea of optimizing a lineup. Part of it is you are going based off previous stuff, right? So you kind of know who these people are. So there's stuff to learn from that. And then the the issues is when we come into this year and you see some of the same stuff from last year and you go how the hell did we not learn from that? All right, Why are we trying this dumb experiment again, right? Like if Myers was still here and like, you know what, we're thin on left side D, so we're gonna try them on the left side. It's like, no, we just did that, and it was, it was terrible, right? So um, I hear you. Anyhow, uh, we're missing a bunch of the comments because we are talking and trying to make somewhat eye contact like uh, people More do when they're you. talking. So if you have some questions or comments, put them in there again. We'll see if we can catch a couple of them. Uh, thank you for the congratulations on my Tucker Pullman baby. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very excited. <laughs> So that was a big deal for me, as you should be. Yeah. Uh, uh, so that the the D- oh, so you said that's what's going to happen. Now, right now with the, these bodies, uh, the, the second part of the question: What is the best way that you think optimizing the boys that are there right now? For uh, sorry, for little is the best case scenario. Compliance bio. There's a lockout. um No, he's got too many years left. I think. Wouldn't that be over eight years? A uh, little without a uh, shit. Uh, Retained salary adjustments. players. Holy. Okay. How do you get rid of little without retaining a salary weight for cba yeah that's uh, we talked about that last year about the little let's skip the d i mean as whatever we all know okay. right the cba bio thing for little is that the way we get away from that contract i think that's a good one last time that they uh, did the cba there was some compliance ones where they were allowed to i think that didn't go against the cap so to pay some money um do you think that's maybe a, a thing with little because that contract doesn't seem that great and Uh, the cap hit would still hurt because he's still got four or five years left, right? So we can't do that now or next year without.
0: Yeah. uh, It's interesting. He he is such a unique case in Winnipeg because he has a long-standing history being a day-one guy and having so much uh, established track record with Maurice and Chevy and everybody. And I think that they're... It's an interesting thing when you're in the organization and you want to show the world that you're good to your guys right. and I mean for the there's a difference also between inefficient money and not an NHL player Right. And I think Brian Little is well established within, even at the level that he's playing at, being less than what it used to be NHL player. And I think he could be a middle six winger easily. I think he could be a third line center easily uh, on the Jets, and he might get more roles than that. But if you're trying to project them as a contender, I think those are the sorts of holes that you look him to fit into. Right. And um, as long as um, oh, eighteen, oh, awesome. Uh, I like when numbers align like that. Anyway, so I mean. It depends on what the cap situation looks like at that exact moment, and whether you want to get a, rid of money because it's inefficient, or if there's other solutions. I've thought and proposed before that a um, that Seattle could be an option for him as well. Yeah. Um, his no trade or his no movement changes to a limited no trade in time for that draft to happen. So that's a possibility. Maybe somebody mentioned the Army and Mason situation that you could package him with somebody yeah. if it came to that eventually. Um, but I don't think that what we... As much as I, I agree that the money is inefficient, and the contract you know is going to continue to age poorly as time takes its its toll, because it's as long as it is. Um, I think that we don't know today what will be the best route there. I don't think the organization knows today because they like him so much, and there's no guarantee that he'll age as well as they hope.
1: Yeah. Now, talk about bio uh, thing... Do you think because they weren't planning on getting other any other players at some point, that that's why the Kulikov just sat there? I know you had talked about the idea and were tweeting about sort of the second window because of arbitration mm-hmm. that they could have bought out Kulikov and they didn't. Do you think it just kind of, uh, like a, again, justify the contract? They have the cap space this year. Uh, they're not really going to gain cap space just to give that to Lyon and Connor, because they probably still have enough anyhow to do those deals, so there's not really a point to it. They just continue to have depth. Or what do you think kind of happened there, and why that what seemed to make a lot of sense didn't happen? At some point, it just kind of stopped making any sense.
0: My current current read on it is that they entertained it well, or sorry, the, the timing was such that had Ben Chirot signed as a Winnipeg Jet, because they were having those negotiations, right, and they were in on him for similar, but I think a little bit less uh, than what Montreal gave Ben, Um, that that had they signed Chirot, then Kulikov was a safety valve. You buy him out and you get the immediate savings that sort of compensates for the Chirot money, and then you're in the same situation that you are now, just Chirot plays where Kulikov would have. Right um but with Schrott taking a better deal in Montreal then it's well what are we going to do and given the roster that they have they need bodies and they need somebody that they made a bet on at one point and they're going to it's tough to bet on full health and great performance after back injuries and troubled performance i think yeah. but they need somebody yeah. and to run other players and then have and buy him out and then have cap hit next year right. is uh, is a, I think that just became less palatable. That's my current read on the situation because right. I, I sincerely believe that there was a point at which it was possible.
1: Right. I'll just say the thing about Ben Schrod. I said it wasn't a big deal that he was intimidated by 55 and 26, could lose a room fast. Mm, that's, in, uh, that's Scott Campbell. You definitely want to take that one. Is it possible Maurice is intimidated by 55 and 26, could lose a room fast? Okay, I'll just say my one thing about Ben Schrod. He grew a lot in his time here. One of the best-looking Jets, not the best-looking Jet, Um, but I just wasn't a fan because I thought that there was better players that could have played with Buff right away. And, I mean, sometimes when, like, players aren't that great and then they get great, then people get, like, coaches get credit, the players get credit, but sometimes there's already somebody that's already good enough that you could put in those spots. And, I mean, by the end of the season, Maurice was talking about maybe when everybody's healthy, um, Niku doesn't come back out of the lineup. Right, that was that was something that was said, and I go, Niku played a total of what, fifty, sixty games, total in NHL and AHL, and was healthy all season. He had twenty, you know, games in the press box or just moving up and down, right? And like, so at the end of the season, you realize that he's capable. It's like he literally could have been playing all this time anyhow, instead of, and not instead of Ben Scriv because I know obviously he's making more money and sometimes contracts dictate stuff. But um, I just wasn't a fan because it seems to push better players and are players too guys that you've even drafted right uh not just free agent guys so that was my take on ben rod he was eh, he was okay but he took someone else's job okay so scott asked the question about uh, maurice intimidated by shifley and and wheeler and maybe their power in the room i mean they got the letters on on them and some of them seem to i uh, I,
0: I don't i don't know uh i i don't see anything that speaks to me as evidence that that's the case like i Um, if it were the case, it would be very weird and difficult. And I don't understand how that dynamic would sustain itself. Like somebody would have to go, I think, because I mean, the coach should coach and the player should play. And I mean, I believe in input and feedback, but the idea of intimidation, like was like Scott suggested, I, I, I mean, I've never been a player in an NHL room, but that just does not strike me as a situation that works. And, And at the same time, yeah, I don't see, I mean, I guess the evidence that you would point to if you believed in that was the fact that fifty five and twenty-six never split. Right. Um, but I mean Maurice calmly articulates why he thinks they're a good idea. Is that because mm-hmm. of you know so I don't expect that's the case, but if it were somehow the case, that would be pretty bad.
1: That's, yeah. I think I think maybe part of that too though is from the fact that I think Maurice has talked about this before where he talks about like the room and the guys and and the uh all that and he's almost like it's theirs to kind of create that. I don't think he's got his fingers in there all the time trying to make the room. So if those guys have it and they have the respect of everyone else, maybe at some point he's like, okay, if I just have them, then that's good. Do you buy the room with Jets or shopping lining? Uh, no, we don't buy that room, we? I that don't either. expect it. No. I mean, everybody's for sale, right? Gretzky got traded, but it has to be a right deal. I don't think anybody's offering the Jets a, a deal that can replace a you know, potential 50-goal scorer. So who's that? This first down, Periscope. Welcome. First down, Periscope. Welcome
0: to Periscope. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. Olivia's World 95. That was kind
1: of a funny notification. <laughs> I don't know why we know that, but that's great. <laughs> that's what it is. So um, anybody else have any other questions, or is there anything that we didn't cover? I know I kind of skipped over the the preferable D scenario. Maybe we could kind of just revisit that quickly. Your your, your D pairs, what do you think is uh, the best usage? Just names and numbers or whatever. <laughs>
0: You put Morrissey on one pairing and Bufflin on another and pray. Like uh, that I mean that's dark and, and, and dry, but I, I think that there are two clear cut solutions in the top four and everybody else is a question mark. And right. maybe it's about giving meaningful time and, and running rotating people through that and looking for chemistry and looking for ways to survive. Um I mean, if Pionk and Morrissey can communicate their way into something passable, or if Morrissey is at that point where he is so good that he can, what I would call, carry somebody, then, then great. Um, mufflers? I don't, think, I, don't I don't think
1: they will. Uh, just looking at that question, yeah. no, they're not going it doesn't to. doesn't seem likely. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Anyhow, so yeah. Yeah, I think it's you lean on those guys and you hope, to heck that they're healthy and can carry whoever they're with and then those guys develop and in a in a perfect world Sammy Niku takes a huge step forward this year but there's no guarantee that he wins that job alongside Bufflin when the if the team gives veterans like say Boliu a, a first look and if Boliu acquits himself well. Like if yeah. Ben Chirac can come out of a season with Bufflin with good numbers I, I think Nathan Boliu is in that tier of player and yeah. might do some things differently and actually have a different skill set that you know, you might expect him to survive as well.
1: You guys need a part, cat. You guys need veteran heart and grit. Damn, Andrew McDonald,
0: he will sharp any holes at D. I generally use Andy McDonald as I think. the. I've heard that phrase from someone in, who likes Philadelphia yeah. a time or two.
1: Didn't he retire or something like I'm that? I'm not sure
0: what the status I don't of
1: even know. Andrew McDonald is. I don't know that player very well at all. All right. I think we should wrap it up here. Is there any last questions or thoughts, comments that actually make some sense? Or no? No, nope. right. I'm it's not. close, close to here.
0: my bedtime, so I mean, if you want me to say something very silly, uh, okay. you're, you're more than welcome to. You guys, what are we talking about? I'm lost. Uh, you right. can go back and, and do
1: the whole thing. Wrap it up. Always, yeah. Good idea, Mac. Thank All you right. for that. All right. Well, Marat, thanks so much for doing this. It was fun. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed it. We'll uh, maybe eventually post the audio, too. Is Asia going to tuck you in? No, Asia's not going <laughs> to tuck him in. Uh, just drive him home, you. Thanks, Thanks for thinking me, about my comfort, so, though. And whoever commented on the jersey, uh, thank you for that as uh, Germany. So, anyhow, that's it. See you all.
0: I'm Kirk Kilback, and thank you for listening to the Jet Centric broadcast.